is from the books of Isaiah and according to John. First, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 8. Comfort for God's people. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her inequity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And now, from the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are studying 1 Peter. We're in chapter 1, and uh, before we launch into a more careful uh, look at the rest of chapter 1, I wanted to be sure that we didn't miss uh, what is a major theme. Uh, and so what we will do is read just uh, verses 3 through 5, and then verses 22 through 25 at the end of the chapter because it's easy when you get into a real study of the chapter to miss the linkage between those two parts. Um, I love expository preaching. I don't know how else to preach except by analyzing, but the danger in it is by breaking things down so much that we don't see the large themes. There was a very popular Latin American preacher back in the 70s named Juan Carlos Ortiz. I believe he was from Argentina. And uh, I remember one time his saying uh, in a critique of too much of the kind of preaching that I do and the danger of it, 
Uh, he said, imagine if I went to Rome with my wife and wrote a letter back to be read to the church. And so our clerk of session stood up Sunday morning and said, we have a letter from Pastor Juan Carlos uh, and I'm going to read the first two lines of it this morning. Um, Pastor Juan Carlos, Juan Carlos Ortiz, born in Buenos Aires, and he gives the history. Um, we are currently, we, who could be with him, possibly his wife, his wife who was, you know, and he just sort of out of certain. And I don't want, in breaking text down, for us to miss themes that we would catch if we said, before we start, I actually did this one time early in my ministry. It didn't go over real well, so I didn't, but uh, we had Sunday night services then, and I was starting, and I said, tonight I'm simply gonna read an entire epistle to you that we're going to study. But that's actually how they were meant to be read, all of that. We'll begin reading with verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then verse 22 having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, he quotes Isaiah, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Two things should be clear to us when we read these verses together, the beginning and the end. And the first is that the original disciples and those whom, to whom they were sent as apostles had no reason at all to believe the gospel except for this one thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The disciples were, Peter certainly, who was writing here, a rather arrogant braggart who told Jesus when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, he said, the others were saying, and said, I, Lord. Peter said, well, it may be one of them, but not I. I would never deny you. I'm willing to go with you even to death. And Jesus said, before the night is over, you're going to deny me three times. And only after he'd been broken by his own denial, his own apostasy, his own running away from the one whom he called Lord and Master, was he able to see the depth of his own need of God's grace of redemption? And then Jesus, Jesus appeared, risen from the dead. And these men who had been cowards, who had run from him within a few weeks, were men who would go to the ends of the earth, and not just men, the women didn't run, 
And they were the first to whom Jesus revealed himself. And so these men and women were willing to take this news into the very culture that had crucified Jesus and tried to get rid of him. And it was that one thing, it was the reality of the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead and, re- and appeared to them and met with them and sat with them and taught them repeatedly over a period of 40 days that transformed their lives and became the foundation of everything. Without that foundation, there was no reason for them to believe that the gospel was true or that Jesus was any more than another failed rabbi who tried to live well and teach well but had fallen beneath Roman power. Tragically, you know, one-third of the world's population professes to be Christian if they have to check the box. One-third of the world's population. And yet how many, even within evangelicalism, the latest Barna survey is deeply depressing, showing the, the great number of people who check the evangelical box, Bible-believing, go to Bible studies, but confess that they don't really believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, there's no reason to be here this morning except for that. I, you, it, it's now entered the popular culture through a country western song and also there's a book of this title there may be more than one but when I first heard it it was only known in mission circles Uh, one particular folk form of Hinduism teaches that the world sits on the back of an elephant and that the elephant stands on a tortoise and so a missionary was asking a a Hindu woman in a village you know is it now tell me you believe that the earth rests on on the back of an elephant and the elephant stands on a turtle and she said that's right and so he said well what is the turtle standing on and she thought a minute and said it's turtles all the way down (laughs) now um, we laugh at that but without the solid foundation of Christ's resurrection from the dead I don't know how to tell you this but it's just the best we've got is turtles all the way down This is what transformed them, and this is what Peter is saying. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has raised him up from the dead. And it is that we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept by God in his very presence for us and ready to be revealed. Now, is the second as obvious to us? And it comes from verses 22 and following. And that's that the world has no reason to believe the gospel unless they are able to see in the lives of Christian people the evidence of that new resurrection life. Unless we are beginning to live as those who have been born again by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and therefore transformed, and he tells us what it looks like. He says it is ultimately that you love one another from the heart. Listen again to how he says this. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love 
love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So of course, most people today in the West do not believe the gospel quite simply because they've seen the way that so many of us who profess to be Christians live. And they see no evidence there of transformed life. And so I want us to think for a few minutes this morning about what we're taught here of how we are to get by God's grace from the recognition that it was the resurrection that transformed these first disciples and made them willing to go to their death, still testifying that it was true. All any one of them had to do to avoid a horrible, painful death was to say, we made the story up. But they couldn't because they'd been with Jesus and they knew that it was true and that everything had changed and that now the gospel was true. And what is the heart of the gospel? It is not, I get forgiven and get to go to heaven. That's a correlate. And that's temporary. What we're waiting for is the new heaven and the new earth, the new cosmos, the resurrection. But the heart of the good news is this. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the declaration. That was the good news that was proclaimed. He's Lord. Caesar isn't Lord. The President of the United States is not Lord. Your boss is not Lord. Your parents, God bless them, are not Lord. There's only one Lord, and that's Jesus Christ. And so, how does that transform us? He tells us here three moves that he makes. The first is that it is through the living and abiding Word of God that we are born again. You may have gone to church all your life and you may know this language and realize that it's essential language, but still wonder, you know, have I been born again? If I were, would I struggle so? Uh, what do I have to do? I've walked the aisle five times if you're from a Baptist background. Um, and God bless you. But he says that it is through the living and abiding word of God that we are born again. The word of God is the agent that the spirit of God uses. It's the spirit of God who brings us the new life, brings into our lives all of the work that Christ accomplished. But he does it through the living and abiding word of God. So I was deeply moved by that. I've never heard that beautiful song that you all sang at the offertory of the word doing its work and, and a prayer that the preacher will get out of the way and that it won't be about him, that it'll be an encounter with Christ through the word. And when people teach, we have so many faithful teachers here for our adults and for our children. And as you are teaching that word, realize you're not just agreeing to take space you know they needed somebody in this room so I guess I could do something I can tell a bible story you are giving those children the living and abiding word of God that alone is God's instrument in bringing them 
out of death and into life, out of bondage, into the freedom that God wants his people to know. Parents, when you wonder, you know, I just get so weary, my kids don't like it, I, we don't seem to respond. Be gentle, be fun, be thoughtful, love them well, but keep planting the word in their hearts. I've told you my story. I was the one in my family that just ran and you know, classic middle child, I, I wanted everything out there. But I was full of the word. I'd memorized huge passages. You know, Baptist preachers, kid, of course. I could say the books of the Bible twice in one breath. Twice. <laughs> I can't even do it once now. But I mean, you know, we were just, we had it in us. But it just never, boom, never clicked. Uh, I, I believed up here that these things were true because my parents believed them, my siblings believed them, but there wasn't any passion for these things. I wanted other things. And when I left home, I left all of it. And there were times when I, especially when I was in the service, that I just knew I was so lost. And so without, if this is not true, then nothing means anything, and I am without hope in a meaningless universe. And I would say, why... Why don't you save me? Why don't you do for me what I've seen you do for my family? And just nothing happened. Of course, you see, I knew where the father's house was. I just didn't want to arise and go to my father. I wanted to stay in the pigsty and have him fix it there. And yet, finally, years and years later, as a newlywed, when Marianne and I were invited to church and we went and the people stood up and began to sing those old hymns that I'd grown up with. The fire came down, everything. I'd refused to go to my father's house, but when I went to my father's house, everything, that living and abiding word of God that they had faithfully put in my heart, the fire hit and it just was an explosion. I wish I could say, that then and over these years I've become the kind of man that I want to be, wish I were, the kind of man my grandchildren think I am, but I'm not. But nonetheless, it's God's word that does that. And so whoever you are, whether you're dealing with your children or dealing with yourself, you will not know what God wants you to know or be what he wants you to be unless you begin to commit yourself and I'm not saying you have to get into an inductive Bible study. Those will help you come to understand how to read the word and get meaning. But I've told you before, you can do inductive Bible study all day and never know anything because that's just preparing the meal. You gotta eat the meal. You take that and you begin to meditate on it. You carry it. You take something that has moved you and you begin to chew it. That's what it means to meditate. You're like a a cow chewing its cud, you're working it, you're going into the story in your mind, you're talking to the Lord about it. What does this mean? What would I have said if I'd stood in front of Jesus at this moment? You know, would I have believed in him? If I were Jesus, so you, you begin to seek to inhabit the text, you get it into you, and you pray, Holy Spirit of God, I can't begin to get this savingly until you take it and light it on fire. And that flows right in, well, I'll say one other thing. We're all students, we're, we're taught 
in the West, our way is to study objectively, to look, to read, to analyze. And that's fine, it gives us a lot of great things. But what the Bible is ultimately to be is not the text we're looking at through our glasses. The, the text of the scripture is supposed to be the glasses through which we look at everything else. We now see the world entirely differently because we're beginning to see it through the glasses. Our sight is being changed. So, the second thing is, the living and abiding word of God is the Spirit's means in saving us. It's also the Spirit's means in purifying us, in making us more and more like Jesus. Where do I get that? Again, look down at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from the heart since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So this is how we grow up. You never grow beyond it. In fact, if you... I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm really not. I'm just telling you, it's like somebody who, who really wants you healthy. And they say, you know, are you walking? Are you watching what you eat? You know, are, if you don't do those things, you're not going to get healthy. You're not going to grow up in Christ if you do not have some kind of regular patterned time in God's word and in prayer with him, asking him to open this for you. And just, you know, find a book of the Bible that you really want to learn and just give yourself to it this next year. And say, Lord, I want, when, when the year is out, I want this word not to be just up here. I want to, it to be flowing through my veins. If I'm studying Isaiah in Spurgeon's terms, next year if somebody stabs me, I want Isaiah to flow out. If somebody attacks me, instead of saying what I would have said, I want to say, the things that I'm now becoming because the living and abiding word of God is in me. Finally, it is through the living and abiding word of God that we endure to the end. Where do I get that? Isaiah, he quotes Isaiah. Comfort my people, says the Lord. How, how do I comfort them? Tell them all flesh is like grass and its flower just passes away. Think of yesterday. I mean, just a young man, just gone like that in the midst of such a fruitful ministry. Every one of us is just a moment from eternity. Date myself by quoting Simon and Garfunkel, but we, we continue to continue to pretend our lives will never end and that flowers never bend with the rainfall. The prophet says they do bend. They pass away, but the word of the Lord will not pass away. So if the living and abiding word of God is in you and the spirit is using that day by day to sustain you, he will carry you to the end of the journey. That is the testimony of those who have lived in the word and been his. That we can end well. That's been my prayer, my prayer, my prayer, Lord. People would for years say, how can I pray for you? I'd always say, pray that I end well. Um, am I going to end well? 
story's not over. When my son, who had run so far from the Lord, came back to the Lord, Mary Ann said, are we out of the woods now with David? And I said, you're not out of the woods with me. Not, <laughs> not until you bury me. I mean, we have an almost infinite capacity to turn on a dime and go our own way and do everything that we've preached against and taught against. And, but it's through the living and abiding word of God that we endure to the end. And that, that will be joy unspeakable and full of glory. So do we want to live just the way the world's living for nothing. You can have a ride, you can have fun, and it is fun. I hear some people say all the time that I was sinning, I was miserable. And I say, part of the time I was miserable. Part of the time I was having a lot of fun. Um, but at the end of the day, what do we want? Don't we want what we prayed for little James? When at last we stand before love incarnate, do we want him to say, depart from me, I never knew you, or enter into the joy of your master? Well done. Well done. I pray that for you and for me, in that great day, he will say, by grace, well done, good and faithful servant. Would you stand? Father, thank you so much that you have given us the means that your spirit uses to give us new life, to sustain that life, and to lead us to the end of our journey for good. And I pray, Father, that, that I will increasingly live what I preach, that my life will increasingly be less hypocritical and more congruous with the things that I call others to believe and live out. And I pray that for each of us. Thank you that you are so loving and kind and merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And we, even now, would again claim such grace, such mercy, and ask you to fill us day by day with more and more of your living and abiding word. Would you take just a moment and respond to whatever God's Spirit may be saying to you this morning?